All right, everyone, welcome to the Community Conversation. Today we have a special episode with a special guest, Mackie Bergman. Mackie is the owner, founder of Steady Buckets, which is a nonprofit youth basketball program that aims to change not only youth basketball, but his big core mission is to change youth sports. Pre-COVID, Mackie and Steady Buckets had over 2,500 kids in their program. They've helped kids from youth to high school to college, and he even coaches NBA players. And their philosophy is all around developing their players, not just their skills on the court, but outside of the court. And leadership is a humongous topic that Mackie talks about and is also a huge passion of mine. And that's kind of how I got to know Mackie through Next Jump in the COA community. So I'm so excited for this episode because Mackie shares a lot of insight into what Steady Buckets is all about, his philosophies, what he does with these kids, and just the amazing impact that he's playing uh, and participating in uh, from a global perspective with Next Jump and uh, how that impacts his local community. So I'm so excited for this episode. Thank you all for checking it out. Your community conversation starts right now. All right, everyone, we have Coach Mackey on here with us today. Our first non-member guest for the community conversation. And I'm so pumped for you guys to uh, get to hear from Mackie. Uh, Mackie and I have been hanging out for a bit with all the stuff we've been doing with Next Jump, and he's been just innovating like crazy and uh, really putting like leadership in practice with his uh, nonprofit uh, youth basketball um, association that he has uh, called Steady Buckets. So uh, with that being said, uh, Mackie, why don't you just introduce yourself a little bit, like tell everyone like who you are, like maybe a little bit of your story, what Steady Buckets is all about. And again, guys, I'm just like so pumped uh, for you to hear from, from this guy. He's, uh, he's the man. All right. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Um, I'll go quick with my story. I tend to, I, I find in, in, in telling the story about Steady Buckets, I don't like to spend too much time on the past because what I'm really excited about is the present and the future. Um, so a little bit about I'll kind of speed through. I'm, I'm a lifelong New Yorker. Um, recently moved to New Jersey, so kind of getting getting used to the shift of leaving the island of Manhattan. Um, but lifelong New Yorker, grew up loving the game of basketball, playing pretty much every day after school, went on to play in high school and college at the University of Rochester. Came back and um, dabbled in a little art career that didn't go anywhere, made a lot of art, didn't sell a lot of art. Um, but then quickly rediscovered my passion for the game and coaching the game of basketball. Um, I've been coaching ever since. So I've been coaching almost 20 years now um, and, and started a nonprofit organization in New York City called Steady Buckets. Uh, Pre-pandemic, we had over 2,500 kids participating in the program. Um, the heart and soul of the program is skill development. I think of, of basketball is obviously a competitive sport. At the end of the day, we want to win. Um, but it's my belief that too much of the youth sports world in general, not just basketball, but too much of the youth sports landscape is focused on, on the game and not on developing the skills that kids need to be successful at a higher level. So talking about just the, the foundational skills that you need to be strong and fast. You know, when I was a kid, nobody, nobody was lifting weights. Nobody was really doing strength training or working on their explosiveness, working on their vertical, um, then you have the, the fundamental skills of the game, primarily being shooting and ball handling. Um, but are you getting enough reps to be the player you want to be? Or are you spending an imbalanced amount of time 
playing versus really working on your craft. Uh, we, we tend to model youth sports after professional sports. And the difference is they are already the best in the world. First of all, we don't see how hard they work in the weight room and on the practice court uh, honing their skills. But so sometimes fans and, and kids get confused at how hard they're working when the cameras are not on. Um, but aside from that, there's a difference between being a professional and being an amateur. There's a difference between investing in practice, investing in your skill set and developing the skills that you need to be successful versus already acquiring those skills and now it's time to play the game. So um, I started the program really as a way to provide an alternative model that didn't exist in New York City, um, which is really focused. Think, I, I think like the average youth sports program is probably somewhere around 80% of the, of the um, kind of priority is put into the game, practicing for the game, learning the plays. Uh, most, most youth sports programs revolve around the team and the league and the competition um, and maybe 20% on skill development. I wanted to flip that model. So our model is more about 80% focused on skill development and, um, and 20%, we still play games. We wanna have fun. We understand that it doesn't make sense to work really hard and, and develop a skill set if you're not gonna use it in competition as a way to figure out how good you really are and, and challenge yourself in, um, with the scoreboard on. But, um, but really flipping that model of going from 80% game, 20% skill development to 80% skill development and 20% um, game. So that's kind of, that gives you a little history of, of how I started the program. Started with zero kids and it, it kind of rapidly grew to, like I said, before the pandemic, we had over 2,500 kids. Um, and then really what me and Mike have most in common is our love for leadership development and, and actually what I've, I, it was about four or five years ago where I was reflecting on some of the best players I've coached and, and kind of players who fell short of reaching their full expected, the expectations I had for them or the expectations they had for themselves. And um, really what it came down to is I, I decided the, the best players were more coachable and the best players communicated better. The best players were worried about their teammates as well as themselves. The best players had more of a dialogue between player and coach rather than just kind of a Jay Wright from Villanova talks about the difference between a respectful relationship and an authentic relationship. So a respectful relationship is the player that just says like, yes, coach. Yep. Got it, coach. Yes, coach. Whatever you say, coach. And then they go out there and they don't do what you said. Whereas an authentic relationship is, is the, the player who asks questions and, and doesn't just give you the automatic yes. Um, but actually is curious and interested in learning from you. And if they disagree, they'll say they disagree and, and pick your brain, but ultimately not just yes you to death and, and do what they want, but actually be a, a, a student of the game and somebody who values their coaches for, for the brain power they provide and the, the knowledge and IQ that they've developed and that they can learn from. So um, with that being said, we, we started a young leaders program um, I, I decided all these words, right? So I, I said coachability and communication and caring about your teammates. Really, I kind of thought of as the, the players that were performing at the highest level were leaders. The players that were falling short lacked leadership abilities. So I, I decided as much as I, I kind of made leadership the sixth skill that I think about in, in developing players. And I had always thought the most important skills were you got to be strong. You got to be fast. You got to have a jump shot. 
You got to have a, a hand, uh, ball handling skills, right? And um, and you got to have basketball IQ, right? You have to understand how the game is played. And then I, I after years of, of teaching under that model, I decided that leadership was going to be the sixth component that I wanted to prioritize and study buckets. And then really the way I think of leadership is it's a multiplier. It actually, it, if you have leadership skills, but lack fundamental skills, the leadership doesn't really do all that much. So like if you're the worst player in the gym and you're a great leader, that usually doesn't bring a lot of value to your team. Um, but when you have fundamental skills combined with leadership, it's not an addition, it's a, it's a multiplier. So you, you see the, the players that have the skill set combined with leadership skills are just, you know, 5x, 10x better than players with a similar skill set. I literally have just been taking notes this entire time you've been talking. And every single time I talk to you, I feel like I'm taking notes because I'm always learning something from you. Um, there, you said a, a couple things. And one thing I want to bring up that you, you didn't mention is your, your mission is to not just change basketball, but also to, to change youth sports, right? Can, can you talk a little bit more about that, Mackie, and like that mentality and what you, like, you, you see as the problem now and what you see is maybe the future what, of what youth sports looks like? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a big question that we talk about. It's, it's kind of why we know each other. We know each other because of Next Jump and, and our common love and desire to learn about leadership skills and leadership development. Um, a lot of what we talk about is the future of, of work, the future, the future of humanity, uh, you know, not just youth sports or education or the workplace, but just the, the future of human success is more and more going to be determined by leadership skills, communication skills. Um, and, and I think about the mod, uh, at Next Jump, we talk a lot about industrial age, right? What is, what is, what did a successful company look like a hundred years ago or even 50 years ago um, versus what does it look like today? And it used to, it used to be a much slower moving, you know, power was in capital and human resources and, you know, the ability to have a lot of workers who don't do a lot of thinking, um, and just do what they're told with one, one or two leaders making all the decisions. And now you have in the modern world with, with technology has accelerated the ability for one or two people to run huge companies and, and make huge changes in the world. Um, they, they, I, I love quotes. I, there's, I'm going to butcher this one, but there, there are this, there, I know there's a quote out there about like the history of humanity, the history of the world has proven that one or two people can do amazing things and really change the, the course of, of, of humanity. So, um, you know, I think that's true more and more now. It used to be people were so much more isolated to their community and you had to, to make change was such a more challenging um, task for somebody to really influence people worldwide or, or nationwide. Now with technology, um, the ability to impact change as, as a small group is, has been elevated to a degree that, you know, we're all looking to learn from each other. And, and now with the internet and with social media, um, with everyone doing podcasts like this, our, our voices can be amplified at such a more rapid rate. So, so I'm excited about that, what, what, what that means to the future. And then I, so I think of each person's individual ability to make huge impact on their community and on the, on the greater world, um, as well as my own. So, um, you know, even uh, before I got involved with Next Jump and, and started being mentored by Charlie and Megan, my lens of, of 
change and community was much smaller. I wanted to impact the kids in my program, the families that participated in my program. I wanted steady buckets to be the best program it could be, right? I, I started the program in 2010, um, identifying the problem that downtown Manhattan didn't have good enough basketball. And then kids started coming from all over New York City. And I learned that, no, it's, it's not a downtown Manhattan problem. It's a New York City problem. And then you realize that it's not a New York City problem. It's a New York State problem. Then you realize that it's, it's the whole country. Even the cities that are producing the best players, they're not, they're not doing it the right way. They're, they're not doing it in a way that they're, they're the same way Charlie and Megan talk a lot about uh, the industrial age of, of running an organization. Most basketball organizations are just, they're running things the same way they've been run for, you know, decades mm -hmm. without, without thinking about how we need to teach people for the modern world, right? Like, um, I think we're still, the, the way we teach kids in school and the way we use youth sports as an opportunity to, uh, to help kids grow and develop skills is still very much um, preparing them for an industrial age world that no longer exists. Mm -hmm. So, um, and there's a lot of hypocrisy in the youth sports world. So we, as, as, as youth leaders of youth sports teams, everyone's talking about, you know, we want our kids to be creative and collaborative and, and communicate and have leadership skills. And then if you look at your average youth sports team or high school team or college team, it's basically run by an adult authority figure who says, shut up and listen to me, do what you're told. And that's not what the future of work, that's not what successful people, successful companies are looking for. They're looking for people that can collaborate, communicate, um, share truth um, with each other, have difficult conversations and ultimately maximize their brain power, not by working as individuals, but by working as teams. So how does that, how does that, it's almost like reverse engineering. Um, the goal is to help kids who grow up in my program be successful in their adult lives. Well, what is successful in a, what is success as an adult look like 10, 20 years from now? And are we using youth sports and the education system to prepare kids for what success 10, 20 years from now is going to look like? Um, so that's kind of when, when I think through that lens of not just improving youth sports in downtown Manhattan, but really preparing kids for success in, in what future of work is going to look like. It makes me motivated to blow up the system that exists and, and invent a better way of using youth sports, which is such a powerful vehicle, such a motivating and important part in so many young people's lives um, and, and figure out the better way to do it, to run it so that kids are getting out of it what they actually need and, and learning the skill sets that are gonna to lead to success um, once they stop playing the games they love. So basically like you're taking youth sports, you wanna use youth sports as this like, this mode to develop these future leaders for the, for the, for the world that they're coming into and what the world needs. Cause we're kind of living in the past with how things are. And you, you mentioned, couple of things is really which is really interesting which i didn't know which is that this sixth skill of like leadership and you're looking at that from the basketball lens and this like idea of like being respectful versus authentic you're trying to help create more authentic versus respectful people right which is like the yes 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 people and don't do it like maybe not do what the person is saying but you're creating more authentic individuals in the sense of like being able to make better decisions and you're you're 
what I think the folks that may not know that are listening here now is like, you're doing all these incredibly innovative things with applying leadership to these kids and using it through basketball. Like, you know, you talk about the truth reps and the discipline reps and these sorts of things. Can you talk about some of the things that you're doing with the kids right now and maybe the impact that you're seeing even at like this, this stage? Yeah. So, I mean, look, to, to what I was saying earlier, the, if, if you want to reverse engineer from what's the most important skill we can teach our, our young people. Mm-hmm. And I, if you can define that as leadership and under leadership, you start talking about communication and the ability to be coachable, the ability to coach, the ability to have difficult conversations, go into conflict and share your at, at next job, what we call UFC, your unfiltered communication, your, your truth. If that's the number one skill that young people should be focused on developing, why not blend that into everything they're doing, whether it's basketball, any other sport, learning a musical instrument, into the education system where I'm not talking about replacing one with the other. What, I, what I've developed and Mike just referenced what, what we call at Steady Buckets Truth Reps is I'm designing all these practice plans that allow kids to do their normal basketball workout, but at the same time, develop the leadership skills that I earlier described as a multiplier, where if you can be good at ball handling and shooting and become coachable and, you know, be honest with yourself and gain self-awareness. It, it has a multiplying effect where you are 10 X better than you were if you could just dribble or shoot. So uh, uh, I think the most innovative thing, we, the two things I, I would like to talk about as like the, the most innovative stuff we do at study buckets. One Mike just referenced is called truth reps. So um, through conversations at Next Jump with Mike, with Charlie and Megan, with the team over there, um, we talk a lot about truth. And truth is, a, is it sounds like such a simple concept, right? Um, a lot of time when you talk about the, the importance of truth, people go, oh, I don't lie. Well, yeah, you do. We all do. Um, I, I love what the, the two acronyms, I imagine Mike has talked about them in the past, but the two acronyms we use a lot at Next Jump are LHFing, which is line hiding, faking, and uh, UFCing, which is unfiltered communication. And the, the way we talk about it is you're always, basically every time you speak, you're facing a fork. Should I LHF or should I UFC? How honest should I be with the person I'm talking to? Right. And there's, there's different levels of it. Um, we don't call it lying. We call it lying, hiding and faking because you can be truthful, but not all the way truthful. Right. There's different forms of LHFing. It doesn't mean that you're blatantly lying and deceiving. You may be holding back information. You may be not speaking at all. Right. You can be hiding. You can. Does anyone have a question? And in your head, you have 10 questions, but you feel like people will judge you and think you're stupid for asking the question. So you decide to be quiet. Whereas UFCing is to the best of your ability, sharing what's on your mind, which I like to describe as being impossible ultimately, right? So on the one hand, people say, I don't lie. And the answer is it's impossible not to lie or it's impossible not to hold back your thoughts because we can speak about 200 words a minute. If you speak really fast, you can speak about 200 words a minute and yet your brain is processing three to 5,000 words a minute. 
It means in every sentence that we, we speak, we are deciding at a rapid pace internally in our own mind, what should I say? What shouldn't I say? What will make me look good? What will make me look bad? Let me stay away from the stuff that'll make me look bad. Let me give more of the stuff that'll make me look good. And we spend so much brain power in that brand management of making other people impressed by what they hear and what they see. Um, whereas the more you can get to a cleaner version of brain to mouth to ear, um, that's ultimately what we describe as truth. So truth doesn't, I always like to point out, truth doesn't mean correct. Truth, right? Truth can be factual, but truth doesn't have to be factual. So two plus two equals four. That's true, but it's also a fact. Um, my opinion is truth. If it's, if it's a pure thought process to what I want to say, if it's, if it's honestly everything I'm thinking, that is truth. I might be wrong. In fact, I might be wrong a lot. But the, what I define as truth is the ability to give an honest opinion, not brand manage, not coddle, not prioritize how people will think of you, but just I'm giving you everything that I actually think. So that being one of the ultimate skills of communication, right? And, and when we talk about leadership, I, I really think helping people communicate, right? I, I think about leadership is, is getting people to share their brain power and getting people to be, we use the word authentic, but help people be authentic around each other so that we can get as much truth and as much information on the table and then together argue and, and debate and go into conflict and ultimately together come up with the best solution we can come up with and act on it, right? So that process starts with truth, right? Getting someone to, to develop, I, I love, I forget who Charlie gets this from, but he, he usually quotes one of, one of the people he's worked with in the past. Um, he always says, you know, the human brain wants to do the right thing. People wanna do the right thing. People, the human brain is designed to correct the problem is we just don't know what the right thing is all the time. Mm -hmm. We need we need help with that. We all have blind spots of what we can see and what we can't see. And if we if we just know what correct is, then it's amazing how well how efficient we can be in actually correcting it. Um, but in order to know the right thing, we need truth. So back to truth reps. Truth reps is we do basketball skills and a. Uh, uh, a skill a drill could be toss the ball out to the perimeter catch it turn face the basket with a reverse pivot look up at the rim with your eyes up you know triple threat jab step with a rip through below your knee fake left go right take one dribble and shoot All right i hope hope that was clear enough for you to visualize i got i got the pass into the perimeter and then i'm like right. i'm like I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking, like, I, I, I just like, the way it just came to my mind was so funny was like playing a video game, trying to put in a cheat code. And you're sitting there yeah. like, shit, I, I, only, I only caught the first few steps. No, no, I keep going though. I hear what you're saying. This so is a basketball, but, but okay, yeah. you, you guys are CrossFit community. So it, it could be anything. It could be, oh, think about a burpee, right? Think, think about what a good burpee looks like and what a bad burpee looks like, mm -hmm. right? And, and we can, the coach's job can be to describe in detail what a good burpee looks like. So Mike, I'll let you take over. What describe to me in as much detail what what a a perfect burpee looks like? Yeah, I mean, hands go to the ground, legs kick back, chest and hips come down to the ground, nice and even. Chest rises, feet come underneath the hips, 
evenly about shoulder width apart. Stand up, extension, little hop off the ground, hands come behind the heads. There's full extension from the hips down to the knees, down to the ankles. All right, right? so similar thing. I, I heard just a portion of that. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. So, but but that, the point is, okay, uh, one thing that, that stood out to me that I know I do wrong when I do burpees is when you kick back up, your feet go under your hips. Mm -hmm. My guess is a lot of people struggle with that. They don't yeah. get their feet all the way up. Their feet are six inches, 12 inches behind where they should be. And to do a proper burpee, they need to get their feet under their hips, right? So a truth rep would look like this. We would take, now Mike just described a perfect burpee and he described maybe 10 different details. But we start simple and we start with one detail and we tend to start with the detail that people struggle with the most. So if I was doing truth reps on a burpee, me and Mike are partners. And then there's a coach out there that says, okay, here's the criteria for the truth rep. Feet have, when you kick back out of the plank position, I want your feet to go under your hips, right? Very simple. Now, good means thumbs up, bad means thumbs down. So again, it's a very simple form of truth, good, bad, all right? Now I go, I do a burpee, Mike gives me a truth rep, right? Why don't we do one real quick? They're on video here, <laughs> why not? You'll see how bad my burpee is. Right, are you are you, all, are you warmed are you warmed up here, Mackie? I don't want you to you know, pull on a groin. Nah, like but that. I don't have a ton of space. But if I, <laughs> I don't know if you can even see this, maybe this is a bad idea. But right, I tend to get from here to here. Now that's not feet under my hips, right? I want to get oh to there. Sure. Right. So the first one would be a thumbs down. Bad. The second one, I don't know. Maybe I don't know if I get a thumbs up on the second one. I felt like it was a thumbs up. Well, you didn't I go all the way down to the ground, but yeah, but no, no, I, I hear you. Yeah, yeah. Right? No, no, with, on that on that part, yeah, for sure. That's the, that's the, the interesting thing, being, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, I was gonna say the interesting thing is like the thumbs up, thumbs down, is there's no in between, and that's where and the interesting thing too is, you know, let's say you nudge an inch closer every time, but you're still not perfect. And this is one thing I remember you, you, you teaching me about yeah. truth reps, which I think is just so fascinating is we will eventually give the thumbs up, even though it's not a thumbs up. That's right. So, right? so the, the point is we're, we're starting simple now, assuming I'm getting a thumbs down. First of all, there's a couple key nuances that I've built into it. First of all, when it comes to truth, one of the reasons why people in general are really bad at truth is we tend to deal in relationships where the giving and getting of truth is in balance. Mm -hmm. Teachers give a lot of truth. Students get a lot of truth. Coaches give a lot of truth. Players get a lot of truth. Children get a lot of truth. Parents give a lot of truth. Managers and bosses, right? Upper management give a lot of truth. Subordinates get a lot of truth. And when, when you're only giving, you, your ability to think as the receiver is lost. And when you're only getting, you tend to take on a victim's mentality. You tend to start blocking it out. You don't want to hear it. There's something about oscillating between give one, get one, give one, get one that strengthens both muscles. I think about, I think about the, the muscle of receiving truth, but also the muscle of giving truth. And what's interesting is they strengthen each other. It's very hard to get really good at giving truth without also improving getting so the, the way you want to grow your truth muscles is leveling up in this fashion versus when you're imbalanced, I think a lot of things go wrong. Um, so 
the, the idea is I would do a burpee. Mike would give me a thumbs up, thumbs down. He gives me a thumbs down, then he goes. He does a much better burpee than me. I'd give him a thumbs up. To Mike's point earlier, thumbs up means perfect. Thumbs down, so perfect needs no explanation. Thumbs up is just thumbs up. Thumbs down requires an explanation. So now we're practicing mm -hmm. details. So Mike mm -hmm. would say, thumbs down, your feet didn't get under your hips. You were about six inches short. Then he would go and I would go, thumbs up. That's a, you, you did it. My turn, thumbs down again, thumbs down again, thumbs down again. What you tend to see is eventually Mike would get tired of giving me thumbs down. One thing that kids learn when doing truth reps or adults will learn giving truth reps is we tend to lie to other people, not to protect them. The, the, uh, mm. the instinct you would think is I'm, I'm coddling somebody because I don't want to hurt their feelings. And it's not true. We tend to lie to people to protect ourselves. It's exhausting giving thumbs down, thumbs down, thumbs down, thumbs down, thumbs down, thumbs down. I like Mike. He's my friend. I see that it's starting to wear on him. So eventually I go thumbs up. Now the coach's job is to walk around the gym and catch these situations. And when, it, when the coach catches Mike giving me a thumbs up that I don't deserve, he would say, Mike, do you think Mackie is so fragile that he wants you to lie to him? Mm. Because I think Mackie wants to get better. And if you lie to him and tell him he's doing it correctly when he's not, He's going to continue to do it incorrectly. But, but, and I've seen, so Mike goes, okay, I got you. But it's almost like this, this fatigue of truth where we, if, if you don't have strong truth giving muscles, you can only give two or three pieces of truth until you need to go, hey man, thumbs up. And, and the answer I get a lot is, but it was better. I say, but we're not, we're not going for better. The goal is not better. The goal is perfect. And that's why we give a simple criteria. I don't care about anything else on the burpee. All I care about is feet under the hips. Now, once both players can accomplish it, or if you're working in a big group, once the majority of the group is getting thumbs up, now we make it a little bit harder, right? So now we would say, I want you to kick back further. I want you to make sure that you're in a straight, you're, you're, you know, your spine is straight. I want you to make sure that your, your glutes are tight. Whatever the detail, I want you to squeeze your abs. Maybe it's tougher to see, right? But their um, head position matters, right? I don't know if you want me to look down or up. But all yeah. these details, that one by one, once I master one, I can then move on to two. Once I master two, I can move on to three. What's interesting is at some point you'll see I got the spine straight, I got the head down, I got the hand position, but now I'm screwing up my hips again. My, hips, my feet aren't getting under my hips again. So at some point you say thumbs up just for one criteria, but then we make the criteria more and more difficult. And then if you give a thumbs down, you have to say why. And sometimes the why is it was so bad. I'm giving you a thumbs down because your feet didn't get under your hips. Your head was in the wrong position. You didn't get into a full plank. You didn't tighten your glutes. You, your hands weren't wide enough. Like thumbs down, thumbs down, thumbs down, thumbs down. Or it might be everything was perfect except for this one thing. I'm giving, I'm giving you a thumbs down. Everything was perfect except your feet still aren't getting far enough under your hips, mm -hmm. right? And that, that's the truth I need to hear in order to perfect my burpee. Because if, if I don't get the truth, I want to do it right. I'm a hard worker. 
I'm showing up to the gym and it's going to be challenging one way or the other. But if, if nobody tells me what we tend to do as coaches is we become cheerleaders. And it's actually, it's what I call it when a, a cheer, mm -hmm. you're not a coach. If all you do is clap your hands and tell people how good they're doing. All right. A cheerleader. We, we talk about the same thing. Right. Yep. A cheerleader, their team is down 20 and they score and they're like, go team. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not so helpful in terms of improvement. So and, and at the same time, cheerleading is part of coaching. So there are times where as a, as a coach, you want to cheerlead. But if you're only cheerleading and you're not providing truth, then you might get people to work really hard, but they're not doing the drill correctly. They're not going to improve. Exactly. So it's, and it's all about giving people the information they need to do it right. And there's, the, there's this get on both ends, right? So you have the person who's giving the truth. Right. So they're improving their ability to give this feedback, you know, those tough reps of like having to be honest and continuously, like, even though it might hurt them, because you, you mentioned it's harder for, you know, we tend to use to lie to protect ourselves. We think we're protecting others. And then there's this get on the receiving end of actually getting that feedback. Right. It's like, and that's also hard as well. Sometimes getting negative feedback and like something I'm, I'm curious, like your thoughts, I know we talked about before is like you know, this whole thing with like UFC and LHF is that we can also make it really hard for people to give us truth. There's also things that we do, right? And like, we not, might not be aware of, you mentioned like blind spots, like we might not be aware of the things that we're doing. How do you see that like on the, on the basketball court? Yeah, so the first thing I would say is what you, what you said, is like they're both hard, right? Giving truth mm. is hard, getting truth is hard. But when you do both, they become easier, mm. right? You start mm. to recognize that it becomes what, again, using this word authentic relationship, it becomes a conversation. It becomes you owe it to me to give me truth because I'm giving you truth, right? Like the, the level raises because I'm going to hold you to a high standard now you hold me to a high standard. It, it, I, I always, it always makes me cringe when relationships are imbalanced in the way that, for instance, it drives me crazy when coaches expect their players to show up on time. And if the, if the player is late, they have to run sprints and run laps and they're going to mm. sit out the first half of the game. But that same coach is late all the time. Mm. That's not a healthy mm. relationship. Yeah. That's hypocritical. Yeah. Right. And, and, hypocrisy shows up when truth is imbalanced. When, mm. when we both have an opportunity to give truth and get truth, the chances of hypocrisy showing up go down dramatically, right? And, and because ultimately, like I said, truth is not fact. Truth is, what are you thinking? As a player, I want my players to know what I'm thinking. The problem is a lot of players don't want to know what their coaches are thinking. They just want to get playing time. So they, mm. they're their whole brand, we call it brand managing, everything they do around the coach is to earn playing time. It's not to get better. It's not to address their weaknesses. So as a result, they hide their weaknesses, right? They only do the things they're good at. They maybe take risk when the coach isn't around, but when the coach is around, they're back into brand management mode. So the coach doesn't even know what their weaknesses are. Mm. Well, then how can the coach help? The, the authentic relationship is more honestly exposing your true self. Hey, coach, this is what I'm bad at. Now, can you help me? And as a coach, having the ability to, A, more honestly assess your players, 
but also to give to, to open up a, 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 a channel of communication as a coach don't you want to know what your players are thinking it doesn't mean that you have to follow their their thoughts at the end of the day you're the head of the team you're the you're the person who, who has to make the final call in terms of who's going to play and who's not but don't you want to know what's going on inside the locker room don't you want to know what your players think of each other because because it's, it's what's interesting is how wrong you can be mm. the one another innovation we do at steady buckets we call it team truth reps so at the end of every practice we circle up and everyone's in a group of either 10 to 15 kids sometimes we have five or six groups in a in a gym but every everyone gets in a group with the people they worked out with sometimes it's as small as three or four people and we ask three questions we say number one who's the hardest worker in the group we say one two three point everyone points to the person in their group that they think is the hardest worker now what's interesting from a coach's perspective i very often agree i usually agree but sometimes i don't sometimes i say that's interesting the person i thought was the hardest worker his peers don't think he's the hardest worker what am i missing well what I'm missing is there's a certain type of player that every time the coach walks around the gym, every time I'm wa- watching, that player steps up their effort, yeah. starts working a little harder. The second I walk away, they stop working hard. Mm. Now, they've tricked me. They've su- successfully fooled me into thinking they're the hardest worker, but they can't fool their peers because their peers are watching all of the time. Mm-hmm. Now, as a coach, don't I want to know what the peers think? Don't want, don't I want to have an additional data point in terms mm. of what's going on when I'm not around? So first question is who's working the hardest. Second question is the opposite. Who's the most distracted or who's the laziest? Who works the least hard? Cause again, so a, somebody might trick me. I might that now when I see who gets pointed to in that regard, it's, whoa, I thought that kid was a leader. And now it gives me an opportunity to talk to that kid and say, you know, what's going on? I see this is three, three practices in a row. You're getting voted most distracted. I always think of you as a hard worker. Is everything okay at home? It's like, I might've missed it. Cause every time I walk around, he's smiling and he's upbeat. But the second I walk away, he's distracted. He's not mm-hmm. working hard. Right? So again, it's just, it's a way truth is not necessarily fact. Truth is just another data point to add to the, the conversation. So ultimately I can have the right follow-up conversations, dig a little deeper, get a little more curious in what's really going on in my player's head. How can I really help them? Because like I said, when people brand manage, what they really do is they hide the help they really need. Mm. My job as a coach is to help them, but they can be so good at tricking me that they actually don't need help. Whereas if I can get some truth out of their teammates and out of themselves, I'm more likely to figure out where, where and how I can really help them. The last question we ask is who's the best teammate, right? Who, not the best player, but who's the player in your group that brings the best out of you? Who's the best leader in your group? Again, this is a great question for, for high school, college coaches, middle school coaches to ask, because you tend to pick a captain. It's really bad when you pick the captain that nobody respects. Mm. They've tricked you into thinking they're a leader. And in reality, their teammates don't look up to them versus over time figuring out who's everyone's favorite teammate, right? And it just brings some clarity to the conversation. I, I, I had this, one of my, one of my best players who's going to play in college. You know, uh, he's a junior in high school right now. Um, 
he's on path to play college basketball. Um, I, I told him I didn't think he was being a very good teammate. His reaction was denial. What are you talking mm. about, coach? I'm a great teammate. And I brought everyone in and said, everyone, you know, point to the best teammate. And nobody pointed to him. Said, hey, you know, okay, this isn't mean. And so it's easy to say coach is getting it mm. wrong. It's not easy to say all of my teammates got it wrong. Right. So again, truth. Um, truth is what he needed. And then he was able to realize he was being too hard on his teammates just because he's better than somebody doesn't mean he can be so critical, right? When somebody makes a mistake, you can't always yell at them, but sometimes support them. It, the interesting thing, right? And so like, I know this just being in like your, your social circle and within next jump with Charlie and Megan and the, the co-community for a brief period of time. So I'm like aware of this, but the folks that might be listening may be like unaware of like, this is like innovative, right? What you're doing. And you're really, your drive and motivation is to really help these kids. There's so much like coddling that goes on right now. And with that said is like, I would assume, and I think you've told me stories of like parents that like, you know, you're given this, these hard, these, this truth reps, this hard stuff with these kids, helping them develop themselves. And like the parents might be like, Hey, you're being really, you're being too hard on my kid. Right. Or like, or like Mackie, you're kind of a, an asshole. The reality is like, you're doing what's best for them, but they're viewing it in a different lens. Like, can you talk about that? Like just in, in general, cause I, cause I know we had a conversation about it before. Yeah. I mean, look, anything you're any, it falls into the category of risk-taking. Like anytime mm-hmm. you're going to do something different, people are not going to be, you're not going to make everyone happy. Um, the it kind of falls into the same conversation, but the, the other kind of top innovative thing we do at Steady Buckets is we, when we play games, we have the young leaders, the people who do the leadership training, they get to coach and ref younger kids. So if eight and nine-year-olds are playing games, we have 11 and 12-year-olds coaching and refing. Um, we call it our young, you know, our AYBL, All Youth Basketball League, um, run by young leaders. Now, similar to one, two, three point and truth reps, some people love it. Some people see the value. And some people say, why are you doing this? That, that 11-year-old who's coaching my nine-year-old doesn't know what he's talking about. Why don't you, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy to volunteer. I played high school ball and I'd be happy to volunteer and be a coach, right? And, and you have to explain, well, that's not the point. The point is not to provide, first of all, we can, we can argue all day about who would do a better job coaching. Um, I would argue that the 11 year old's actually doing a better job than you think he's doing. Um, but aside from that, your nine year old's here to play basketball. That 11 year old is here to get leadership training. So that, this is how we run our program. We are, you know, I, I believe in everything we say we're going to do, we, we do. And we've been calling Steady Buckets an innovative basketball program, right? Innovation is, a, is an interesting word that gets thrown around a lot. I would argue a lot of people that call themselves innovative are not innovative. It's just kind of a fancy word that like, do you want to be innovative or not innovative? Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Let's, let's throw that in the mission statement. Mm-hmm. All right, that'll, that'll make us popular. Who, who doesn't want to be involved with something that's innovative? But innovative means creating something that didn't exist before. Mm-hmm. Right? It means I didn't learn this from someone else. I didn't see that somebody else had successfully run a, a league run by coached and ref by kids. I didn't see somebody else running a program where truth reps was successful. I didn't see this idea of one, two, three point 
work. It was an idea I had. So it, it was, it's an innovation because nobody else has ever done it before. Now, anytime you innovate something, it might work and it might not work. Mm. And you have to be ready for negative feedback because the first time we did one, two, three point, I remember saying, I remember the, the, the fork again, we, we talk about forks a lot at next jump, right? Like LHF, UFC, innovate, play it safe, take a mm -hmm. risk, do what, do the status quo. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and you, you find yourself in these moments saying, you know, I already have a successful program. I can do the same. I, I can run the program with my eyes closed and take a paycheck and, and run it to a level that it'll be successful. But that's, that's not what interests me. That doesn't excite me. That doesn't, that doesn't solve the greater puzzle that I'm trying to piece together of what is the best possible youth sports program look like? How can we use youth sports to develop people for future success? Because mm -hmm. the average youth sports program says they're doing it, but if you say how you're doing it, well, everyone knows that playing sports is like study show. It keeps you out of trouble, less likely to drink and do drugs and teen pregnancy and gang membership. And all that stuff is true. But if it's not being done purposefully, if, if, if the lessons that you're trying to pass down to young people isn't, doing, isn't being performed purposefully, you're leaving a lot to chance. Mm -hmm. Meaning, yes, it'll work for most but it could definitely be better. It could definitely be more purposeful. Like it could definitely be these lessons could be stronger versus just kind of rolling the ball out and taking credit for, well, obviously when kids are playing sport, yes, they are getting exercise and they are learning to play on a team. The fact that they're on a team, but there's, there's being on a team and there's being a leader. There's, mm -hmm. there's being on a team and there's being on an elite team that communicates at a high level and is able to go into conflict fearlessly with each other as a way to help each other grow, right? So you have to accept the fact that you're gonna get some people that don't agree with it. Anyways, back to risk-taking. The first day I did one, two, three point, I said, I could tell this is not gonna go well. This is like, there's some people are not gonna like this. No. And, and I think the, the story, Mike, I, I told you, the, the first time I did it, I got some really negative feedback. Mm -hmm. um, I got a nasty email from a dad who I, I shouldn't even use the word nasty. He was, it actually has become a very close friend and, and we get along really well, but he's, he basically said, my kid came into the gym, super enthusiastic, loving the game of basketball. He had a great day until you did one, two, three point, And then he left crying because all of his friends, you know, all of his teammates pointed him for, for being the silliest. And my reaction was, well, I'm sorry that he had a negative um experience but i i hope you'll come back right and i but but also let's talk about why we're doing this is your child getting in trouble at school for fooling around too much do you have to discipline and do you and your wife have to discipline this child for misbehaving at home and the answer to both questions was yes so i said on on the one hand i'm sorry he got upset on the other hand, we agree that he fools around too much. He does it at school, he does it at home, and he does it at my program. Well, my program is the arena that I get to address it in the way I want to address it. 
at home, you get to address it the way you want to address it. And at school, his teachers and principal get to address it the way they get to address it. Now, I'm going to do things differently than you do at home. And I'm going to do things differently than the people at his school do things. Mm -hmm. um, I hope together we can help this child not fool around so much and not get in trouble because it's okay right now when he's nine years old. But every year it becomes more and more of a problem. And can we fix this? Now, my approach, actually, I point out, I didn't call him silly. I didn't say he fools around the most. His peers did. Mm. And, and what the philosophy behind what we're doing here is that kids don't really care what adults think about them. In fact, it, it, employees don't really care what employers think about them. They, they have respectful communication. Yes, coach. Yep, got it, coach. But it's not authentic. Peer-to-peer mm. -peer relationships tend to be a lot more authentic. They actually do care what their peers think about them. So in this situation, teachers and parents and coaches couldn't get the kid to stop fooling around. But when his peers all pointed, I mean, sometimes they all point to different people, but sometimes you have 15 kids and 14 of them point to the same person for being the silliest. That doesn't feel good. And on the one hand, we don't the, the intention isn't to make people cry. At the same time, if shedding a few tears and being embarrassed and disappointed in yourself is what drives change, I would argue that it's, it's worth it 100 out of 100 times. And in this case, that's what happened. He did come back. So that was the good thing. He was able to shake off his tears, right? Get a slice of pizza or an ice cream cone and come, come back ready to do it again. But then there was a slow process of every week it was, well, the next week it was less people point to him, but still too many to then he was able to course correct and get to the point where nobody was pointing him for Silius. In fact, he was getting hardest worker and best teammate. And that same mental shift was showing up in school and showing up in, in the home, at which point I think it was, it was a month or six weeks later, the same father who wrote me this email being very critical, wrote me a follow-up email saying, you know, I just want to tell you how wrong I was and how thankful I am that, that you took this approach because it worked. It's awesome. Like everything you're doing is so tied into, and you can compare it to like you, you mentioned, like being in the office employers, like in, in the workspace, like something that like I picked up is like, you know, the difficult conversation that you had to respond right to this, to the parent as an example, but also still hold your ground. That's difficult, right? That's like a, a rep, right? Truth rep in your own, right? And so this idea of like being in the arena, like you're not just there telling the kids what to do and making shit up. Like you're also in the arena yourself. Can you like, just talk about that, the, how important that is? Like in the idea, like you mentioned earlier, um, you know, when, when, when a coach tells someone, you know, to be on time and they're also late, it's kind of like, do what I say, not as I do sort of thing. Like, can you just talk about that, the importance of being in the arena and then being able to, you know, coach others and help others and how important that that is. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's, it's huge. Right. I mean, first of all, to, to lean into the muscle of not being a hypocrite um, is key. That's kind of the first thing that comes to mind. Another thing that comes to mind is at next jump, they have this expression, better me plus better you equals better us. Mm -hmm. But the idea is like, you need to work on yourself first. Self-improvement leads to a stronger ability to help other people. Meaning if you're not focused on yourself as a coach or an employer or a teacher 
um, you end up not being very good at helping other people. Um, if you think of the worst teachers, right? And on, on the one hand, uh, I think the best teachers in the world are incredible people, right? Magical. I mean, the, the work that the best teachers do is just incredible. On the flip side though, and sometimes people don't like to talk about it, but like the worst teachers are terrible. I mean, we've all had them. A disservice, right? And we can all think of the bad teacher, the burnt out teacher who really doesn't care. Um, when I really think about what's the difference between great teachers and, and bad teachers, great teachers are always learning. They're mm. still learners. Bad teachers, they're not interested in improving. They're not in, interested in learning themselves. They're just on autopilot. They're just doing the same thing over and over again, showing up, getting a check. They barely know who their kids are. They're completely numb and, 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 and uninterested in the kids in their classroom and the subject matter. Whereas the best teachers are equally interested in learning as they are in teaching. So it's like when I, I mean, now it's a lot of what I teach and a lot of my philosophies come from Next Jump and conversations with Mike and, and, and Charlie and Megan and the other partners at Next Jump. But I, I learned Thursday is like all day learning so that I can go into the weekend with new ideas. Mm -hmm. And I rapidly teach what I learn. It, 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 it makes me feel like I'll never get bored of coaching because I'm not coaching the same thing. I, I, tell, I tell my players and my coaches, a lot of the people who work for me used to be kids in our program. And I say, just look at how different I am now than I was three, four years ago when you were playing. Mm -hmm. look, at, look at how much the program has changed. That's why the program is successful because I'm, I'm, I'm always interested in learning new things so that I can teach them and that so I, I can build on my own wealth of knowledge. Now, I have five things that I talk about at, at Steady Buckets. Uh, every player who's played for me has heard it hundreds of times. But I say to be successful at Steady Buckets, I want you to do five things. Number one, I want you to get a little bit better at something every time you come to practice. So it might be shooting one day, it might be ball handling, you might feel like you got stronger, you might have got better at jumping rope, you might have got your burpee technique a little bit better, whatever it may be, I want you to get a little bit better at something. I want you to show up with the intent to improve. All right, number two, I want you to leave your comfort zone, both mentally and physically. So in the 90 minute or 120 minutes you, you spend with us, I want you to constantly challenge yourself, both mentally and physically, to the, to the point of discomfort. I want you to embrace discomfort, right? Leave your comfort zone. All right, number three, I want you to work so hard you feel proud of yourself. So for years, we said outwork them. I used to define hard work as kind of comparing yourself to others, be the hardest worker in the gym. I eventually realized that wasn't the right approach. Some people can't outwork someone, right? If, you, if someone's just in much better shape, they're going to need less breaks than you. So comparing yourself to others was less impactful than I think about when I work hard, I feel proud of myself, mm -hmm. right? I did one of Mike's workouts a couple of weeks ago. It kicked my butt, but when it was over, I just felt great. I, I did that, right? I, 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 I had this fork of quit or keep going and I chose to keep going. Mm -hmm. I chose to work hard. And then there's moments where if I think back, I go, shit, but there was that one 60 minute set that I did go easy on myself. So maybe I'm, if I do that consistently, maybe I'm not proud of myself, right? If, if you're always proud of yourself, maybe you don't have high enough standards. Mm -hmm. If you're, but if, but if you can be proud of yourself leaving the gym, that was a good day. Right. Like, and nobody can tell you you worked hard or you didn't. If you feel proud 
proud of your efforts, if you hold yourself to a high standard and you feel proud of yourself, right? Nobody can make you feel proud of yourself. You, you feel it inside. So number three, I want you to work so hard you feel proud of yourself. Number four, have fun. Number five, make new friends and strengthen existing relationships. Now, I always challenge people in other walks of life to say, is there really anything else that you need to do in your job to be successful? I, I, I'm always challenging people because if, if, they can, if they can think of something that doesn't fall into those five categories, I'd be happy to include it in my philosophy. But mostly people, whatever they say, I'm like, no, that's more like number two. That's a combination of one and three. Um, anyways, I, so, but the important thing to answer Mike's question is, I very often think about those five things and how it applies to my own life. So I preach it to the kids, but then I also challenge myself. And actually a major breakthrough that led to doing all of these innovations, but especially the all youth basketball league and, and allowing younger coaches to take more responsibility was, and I think the hardest one out of, out of the five is leaving your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. For me, yeah. leaving my comfort zone is taking a step back. My comfort zone is having the microphone in my hand. My comfort zone is being the head coach, running the workout, being the loudest voice in the gym. And I, I, I remember thinking about it and saying, well, how am I gonna leave my comfort zone? What makes me uncomfortable is when I step back and I let younger coaches run the program. And then I'm thinking, man, it's not good enough. It could be better. And what I've learned is if I just hold myself out, they're very often only a couple seconds behind me. So if I, if I don't step on their feet and I don't take the microphone back and I don't jump in to fix things, they actually fix it themselves. But when I do it before they get an opportunity to, I'm taking away their opportunity to grow. I'm taking away their ability to experience leadership, to do leadership reps, right? To improve on their skill that ultimately I need them to develop for the growth of the program. But mostly what hold, was holding the program back from growing and innovating was comfort. So again, all of truth reps, any innovation is gonna make you uncomfortable. Doing anything for the first time is gonna be uncomfortable. And I'm always looking for ways in life. I have a, I just started, I've done it twice. I'm really enjoying it, but I'm doing archery. One of my oh, parents invited me to do archery. And I have no interest in hunting or doing it as a sport. I said, you know what? I, I'm interested because I've never done it before. Mm -hmm. There's a, a concept in Josh Waitzkin's book, the, the Art of Learning. He talks about the beginner's mind. And I think as somebody who coaches beginners, it's very important for me to always be doing something I'm not good at. It used to be golf. I, I got mm -hmm. decent at golf. So it's almost not working anymore. I'm not a beginner at golf anymore. Mm -hmm. So now I'm a beginner at archery. But I think anyone who's teaching beginners should practice being a beginner. Because yeah. otherwise, you won't really understand how your students are thinking. I need to play golf or do archery in order to understand what my kids are going through when I'm teaching them how to shoot a jump shot. I've been shooting jump shots for 30 years. They've been shooting jump shots for a couple of months or a couple of years, and they're going through the same struggles that I'm going through on the golf course or the archery range. And if I'm not leaving my comfort zone, I have no idea what their brain is going through, where their emotions are what it feels like to struggle when I'm only living in 
my world of expertise. It's, it's, you just unpack so much, so much stuff. The, the, the five things you talked about, like, first of all, you're speaking to a lot of the folks in our community right now that I assume can relate to every single one of those things. And they're probably like, yep, 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 yep. That word community, like that, like right there is like a big part of like community, right? Like getting a little bit better. Like people around you help you get you help get you better. Leaving your comfort zone, right? They push you, right? There's that push pull, like working hard, hard work, right? Shared suffering. We talked about that before. Having fun, social events, those sorts of things, making new friends, relationships. I mean, that's what a community is all about. I see how all this sorts of sort of thing ties into that idea of community, and we've been talking about it a lot. And I'd love for like you to kind of describe like community in your words, like to the folks that are in our community, because there's so many parallels to this stuff in community. And we've been talking about community 3.0 and Charlie and Megan have this like amazing vision of what that looks like. And the idea of community, how important it is, but like also like just from your, your perspective and in your world, like what does that, what does that look like? Yeah. The, the way I think about it is like, call me selfish, but I, I just want to live the happiest, most most interesting, most challenging life that I can. I want, I want life to be as full as possible. Like I want to meet amazing people. I want to have amazing thoughts. I want to do amazing things and see beautiful places. Like I just want everything. Like I, I'm, I'm selfish. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want life to be as great as it possibly can be. And then when I think of community is like, community is where life takes place. Mm -hmm. Community is like, if you're going to live the fullest life possible, that takes place in a community. I can't do it by myself, right? I, I, I just know I can't, I can't, first of all, I can't have fun by myself. I can't challenge myself by myself. My brain needs other brains to, to activate. So I can't even think to the fullest capacity by myself. There's nothing that I can do by myself that I can't do better with other people. So being so selfish in terms of what I want out of life I need to find the, the people who can help me. And when I, when I, to me, that's kind of when I think of community at its best is the people who can help me live my life in the way I want to live it. And, and, and in doing so, I can help them accomplish the same thing. But, um, but like, yeah, life, life being so precious, uh, community is where life takes place. That's like one of the best quotes I've ever heard. That's awesome. I love that. Um, this is by far like the, the best episode that we've ever done on the community conversation. And everything that you've been talking about is like the stuff that we've been doing and I've been learning and trying to implement at our team level and then get involved in our community as well. And then um, also, uh, you know, impact the COA community and, and the folks at Next Jump. But you, you've articulated all this stuff so well, distilled it down so well. I feel like if we go on and talk about this stuff for like hours and hours and hours, like, honestly, it's just like, it's just such awesome stuff. But I, I, I gotta, I wanna cut it now because I know that there might be a follow-up here. And I gotta ask you last the three questions. I remember I mentioned you in the, in the beginning. There's three questions I always ask people at the end of these community conversations. Um, and they're a lot harder than you think. I'll see how fast you can answer them. Question number one, you're probably thinking, what the hell is Mike going to ask me? Um, favorite movie and TV show of all time? That's favorite one. movie, White Men Can't Jump. 
Uh, white, white man can't jump. All right, that's favorite movie, favorite TV comedy, show. Comedy, but there's ton of ton of wisdom in there. Um, favorite TV, I would say, is a close The Wire and The Sopranos. I kind of, uh, I think I, if you make me decide, I'm going to go with The Sopranos. Dude, that's a great choice. Did you see the new? Uh, the, all the saints of uh, Newark. Yeah, I didn't love it. I didn't love it. But, uh, same know. thing. It was weird. It was just weird. You have. To, I feel like you have to like watch the entire Sopranos up like series, then immediately go and watch that. You can't take like a what like also, ten year break. You know, if, yeah, if, if you if your expectations are too high with movies and TVs, you're going to be disappointed. So. That's true. Uh, and, and then the other like that's 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 question one. But there's a th- there's three parts to that question. There was movie, TV show. The third part is. Uh, um what are you currently binge watching right now if you're binge watching anything binge watching what is, half the time I, we just finished squid game that was pretty good that was scary <laughs> um, half the time you know if, if i really get into a show i watch most of the time we want me and my wife watch together and um doing other things on my phone i'm, I'm <laughs> checked out if, if uh we had to stop going to the movies because i just fall asleep and it's like an expensive way to get a nap <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Um, all right. Second question is a uh, favorite uh, musician or band of all time. Ooh, tough. Again, tough, tough. That's a lot tougher movie. I can give you quick. That's uh-huh. tough. Um, I like a lot of different types of music. So um, I, I listen to a lot of Jay-Z. I listen to a lot of Bob Marley. Um, I like classical music and it doesn't really matter what it is, but it kind of depends what kind of mood I'm in. Um, yeah, if I gave you two, maybe Jay-Z and Bob Marley. Okay, Jay-Z, Bob Marley. And then the part two is the better. There's three questions, but there's like A, Bs, and Cs. Part B of this is um, favorite song of all time. You had to pick one song to listen to the rest of your life. You're on a desert island. You had like just like a MP3 player that had like unlimited battery. One song you can you listen to. What would that be? Ooh. Funny, I said Bob Marley and Jay Z, but definitely not Bob Marley or Jay Z. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Like I said, I like classical music. So, I, and it's funny with classical music, I don't really know what they're called. I don't know who it is or or anything. But just like if I can only listen to one thing, I would want it to be really calming. I like music. To, I mean, there's times where I like music to amp me up and get excited. But mostly, if I if I could only have one song, I would definitely want it to be very very chill very on, the, calm. on the classical side like the know, beethoven like, bach like that sort of thing like i said i don't I, I i'm not educated in classical music i just know if i'm stressed out and i need to need something to relax me i'll i'll pop in like just you know classical music station and whatever they give me works fair enough all right i like that and then all right last question this is an easy one um uh what's your favorite hobby favorite thing to do outside of like work hoops like steady buckets What's your like your favorite thing? Kind of the thing that might give you give you energy. Yeah, it was. Go- I like golf. I still like to play golf. If if I can, the problem with golf is it just takes too much time. But I, I do like the challenge of golf. I'm not a big nature guy, so like camping doesn't really do it for me. Too many bugs, not really my <laughs> thing. But like I do like. I'm, I'm a city guy. I'm a New York City boy. So like mm-hmm. to me, a golf course is like nature. So uh-huh. like you know, it is. I consider that like you know. I consider that a nice way to take a long walk. I think Mark Twain said golf is a good way to ruin a nice walk. I disagree. I think it's a, <laughs> I think it's a, a way to way to make a nice walk uh, more interesting. So that's yeah, enough. That, right up for me. That's awesome. But I also right. love art. I love art. Um, 
I love going to some art galleries or, or chilling out. I mean, family time is always, always how I spend most of my free time. So anything my wife and kid want to do work for me. Dude, I'm going to have to definitely see some of these, uh, these pieces of art that you, that you've, that you've made. I've never seen anything. You said you were in, into that before getting into a steady bucket. So I'm going to have to see some of the stuff you've created. Yeah, I can, I can give you a quick, uh, Oh, you're going to show right now. Oh, this is awesome. Yeah, why not? Oh, God. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, I'm down in my basement, my office, but just upstairs, I got some. some Love it. We are, we are on a tour now. This is awesome. Oh, dude. Look at that, man. Dude, that's awesome. You drew that too? Oh my God. That, that like, I don't know why, but that gives me like a, a tribe called quest vibe. I don't know why. Something about the colors. I think we got one more down here. A lot of flowers. I like flowers, but I also like kind of abstract cityscape stuff. So another flower. Oh, this one's mine too. Dude, you got skills, man. You got skills. Now I see where the, the creative mind comes from. The innovation and the creativity right here. It's all in one. It all relates. Dude, well, well, Mackie, dude, I, I, I appreciate you being on here so much. This was so awesome. Um, everyone who's listening, you guys just got an incredible amount of wisdom and knowledge dropped on you. Um, Mackie, how do, how do folks like find out or check out steady buckets? Like what are ways that people can kind of like help out? Like what's like website, like, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, Steadybuckets.org is our website. Um, a lot of information on there, to be honest, needs to be updated. Um, probably doesn't do us a great amount of justice, but there's some good videos on there if you want to see the kids in action. Um, if you go to the video portal, this that, that's kind of the best way to learn what we do. Mostly the website is designed for just to, for players and parents to find the schedule, register, and, and donate. We are a 501c3 um, tax, tax deductible organization. So everything we do is free for the community. And um, yeah, there's a donation page and check us out. Steady That's awesome. Well, guys, if you guys are listening, make sure you check out steadybuckets.org. Donate. This guy is doing awesome stuff. He's changing the world, changing youth sports. And Mackie, again, I so appreciate you being on, man. Thank you so much for today. All right. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. You got it.